Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Nancy Avila. Nancy's the Executive Vice President and Chief Information and Technology Officer of McKesson Corporation, a company that distributes pharmaceuticals and provides health information technology, medical supplies, and care management tools. The company delivers a third of all pharmaceuticals used in North America and earns roughly $264 billion in annual revenue. In her role, she's responsible for the company's technology initiatives, including software, infrastructure, application development tools, processes, operations, and cybersecurity. She plays a critical role in accelerating McKesson's enterprise strategy by guiding the company's healthcare technology products and data and analytics capabilities. She's been in her role for roughly three years. Prior to McKesson, Nancy was the Chief Information Officer of Johnson Controls. She's on the Board of Directors of Comerica Bank, among multiple board appointments she has. And I look forward to hearing more about her journey as a tech and digital leader, as well as hearing more about the innovation she's driving at McKesson. Nancy, welcome to Tech Innovation. It's always great to speak with you. Great. Thank you, Peter. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I'm, I'm very excited as well. But first, a quick word from our partner, Adyen, and the company's Chief Operating Officer, Cameron Zaki. Adyen is a payment platform company that allows businesses to accept e-commerce, mobile, and point-of-sale payments. And Cameron wanted to provide a short overview of what Adyen has to offer. Cameron, over to you. Thanks, Peter. It's one global platform on which you can do many continents and countries, all the relevant payment methods, which vary significantly across different parts of the world to online and physical world or mobile. And we've continued to expand from there. If you go to a dinner party and people ask you what you do and you say this, they're like, that sounds like common sense. Why is it unique? The reality is that a lot of the players who've been around for decades have grown on mainframe computing, releasing once or twice a year, buying other companies, and then they give you one API. But behind the scenes, it's a bit of a spaghetti mess, unfortunately. What Adyen did and what we do is sort of really do the backend plumbing that is a little less sexy at times, but really makes the difference in being able to say, hey, it was Peter. Do you know that he you know, shops online and on mobile and in your store and you can recognize him and you can connect all the dots and it's not just enabling the payment, but it's, hey, how do you factor that into loyalty and marketing and all kinds of other use cases? Thanks, Cameron. And now on to the interview. Well, let's begin, Nancy, if you don't mind, with a brief overview of McKesson. What a, what a consequential organization it is, what a large and complex business it is as well. I, I mentioned a little bit about uh, what it is that you do, but I, I wonder if you could take it from there and offer a little bit more detail. Yeah, well, actually, I think you I think you described McKesson quite well, but I, you know, I often start with um, the broader healthcare industry because as I came into McKesson, I really knew McKesson from my pharmaceutical manufacturing days, where I just assumed it was a distributor, and and it's so much more. And and when you think about um, healthcare um, and the excitement of healthcare right now, you know, healthcare is on the cusp of so many different innovations that are going to drive medical breakthroughs, whether it's um, curing diseases, you know, eradicating diseases, um, changing how patients get their care more further away from the hospital into the homes. Um, and when you think about your personal experience as a customer or a patient, when you call a doctor, when you order, when you order um, uh, supplies or when you need to get um, medical supplies, McKesson plays in so many different elements of that. And when you think about that, um, we're not just a distributor for pharmaceuticals and medical supplies. We actually um, manage a significant portion of oncology practices across the U.S. And so we provide support services to these physicians so they can focus on their patient. Um, but that includes technology and security. Um, we have one of the largest platforms that connects all pharmacies 
um, across the US and in Canada to authorize medications. Um, that's a really important capability. Um, when you're sick and you need to have um, a certain prescription, a lot of times it's very confusing to figure out what's covered in your insurance policy. And when you um, have cancer, you know, three weeks of pre-authorization can make a difference in, in your care. Um, and lastly, we have some of our newer um, uh, growth businesses that, that are purely driven around data and understanding, um, you know, this data and how do we improve patients' lives. We have um, a business called Antata where um, they work with manufacturing companies um, and they collaborate on um, data to identify outcomes to improve treatments um, for patients that can improve lives. So, so coming to McKesson, when you think about it, it just touches so many points of, of healthcare. And actually, uh, the greatest thing um, and exciting thing about um, what we get to do is when we make a change, we, we ideally can improve a patient's outcome, whether that's a better experience through our customers um, or helping improve that treatment based on the data we have and uh, how we collaborate with our customers. So it's an exciting place to be. So it's fun. <laughs> That's great. What a great overview. And let's talk a bit about your role. There are two parts, at least to your title, Chief Information Officer, as well as Chief Technology Officer. Talk a bit about uh, the consequence or significance of each of those and, and thus your purview, if you would. Yeah, you know, um, I think that's one of the exciting um, things of this role is, you know, there is an operating responsibility of just running the technology for the company. But I think as Brian Tyler came in, as they shaped this role, um, a lot of technology um, is directly services and products that we sell to our customers. Um, and the underlying um, infrastructure drives a lot of what we do. So my role is, is essentially um, a couple of things is, and I start with the basics, compliance. Um, we are a regulated um, company. So making sure that through our technology that um, we're compliant, whether that's making sure um, we have the right visibility and data to track um, uh, controlled substances, making sure you know, we're able to report on um, SOCs. Uh, cybersecurity. So we have that core responsibility. That's part of the CIO world. And the other piece is how we optimize our internal operations and platforms um, in terms of process automation with our business and, and functions. But I think the most strategic piece comes with the CTO responsibility is how do we work across the company and build the right technology to enable our key growth strategies. And, and so that's the funnest part. Um, but when you think about what I do day to day, a lot of it is working across um, my leadership team, understand what our critical growth areas and making sure we have the right investments um, to drive the right values across the company. That, that's probably the most primary thing. And then it's, it's collaborating across um, McKesson on how do we build and modernize our technology stack. So when you think about some of the newer technologies that's changing and reshaping a lot of industries, um, these technologies now require us to rethink um, everything from our network, everything to how we move to cloud, um, how we built our data structures. It's no longer just a data lake. It's now how do you move um, data closer to, you know, closest to the customer experience. It's it's around OT and how you leverage that. So um, it's starting to build a collaboration across the entire community um, to do that. And and finally, you know, when you think about changing um, the experience, it's helping our businesses understand how they need to think about technology. Um, so we do a lot more of how do we change the culture, how do we help the businesses understand the newer technologies, and then how do we work together to figure out what makes sense to improve our, our customer outcome and even our employee experience. Yeah, very, very interesting. I appreciate that overview. And, and I know from our prior conversations that uh, 
you also get very much in, involved in the uh, operations. You mentioned that actually among the things that you, that, that you highlighted there, that as you, as you think about technology as a significant portion of the overall business strategy, the strategic importance of operations is something that you really sort of delve deeply into. Can you talk a bit, a bit further about that notion, especially considering how important to an organization, the size, scale of yours, um, the, the criticality of that? Yeah, Peter, you know, it's something I've become quite passionate on. And, and when I walked into McKesson, um, there was a lot of focus on um, improving infrastructure. But we had, we're like any typical large company where we made decisions um, not to upgrade certain platforms or not, you know, to manage the risk in terms of end of life. Um, and coming in, what I realized is our infrastructure touches our patient. And, and it was such an aha moment where um, when our network's down, um, cancer patients can't get an infusion um, in some cases. So it, you, we have to be always on. Um, we have platforms that process orders across the healthcare. We transact more um, orders um, in pharmaceuticals between the hours of five to nine than Amazon. So when you think about that impact, we are processing at such a large scale when infrastructure is down, um, our, healthcare, our healthcare is impacted. So, um, so we really have focused on that um, everything from cybersecurity, everything from how we make sure we, we improve our network, and some of our most critical platforms that when they're down, it doesn't impact business operations, impacts our customers and uh, the patient's ability to get their drugs or to get a certain healthcare service or certain prescriptions authorized. Um, so that's been a big focus. I think the second thing there is when you look at um, how we're going to leverage and modernize our future, it's all based on data. That data is exists in our current landscape, and so how we modernize um, is really, really important to make sure there are certain areas of our infrastructure that we maintain, we support, um, and we we upgrade. So, so it was a big aha moment that infrastructure strategic, um, and like most companies, you know, it's coming back in the forefront of how do we make sure we're making strategic investments to maintain it and, and run it well. It's interesting. And you mentioned data now uh, a couple different ways. Earlier, you talked about how you want to move data closer to the customer experience is the way you phrased it. Now you're also noting the criticality of, of data on the operations as well. Data falls within your purview. Talk, talk a bit about how you've thought about organizing, organizing data in order to do both the things you've described and no doubt quite a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, um, when I think about it, uh, you know, where where we hit in this, we're maturing on understanding how to use data. And so when you look at um, operations, we are using data um, not just to um, optimize like you traditionally do, but automate, automate and, and remove the human interaction. So we've done a lot of automation, um, workflow automation, RPA. Um, but where we're at is how do we actually start to automate at scale where we can now take out that human and that's all based on data, understanding data and using data to orchestrate um, behavior. Uh, the second piece is using data to drive intelligence and insight in how we run our business. So we, we, we um, have a vast amount of data and we're starting to use it, um, not just, I, I call it 
I call it not to validate the hypothesis of an experienced seasoned business person or to understand our customer, but we're at a point, and we've done that for years um, in terms of using data to drive better outcomes for our, our customers and patients. But now how do we use that intelligence to actually come and give us insight that we didn't really understand or insight at scale? And so we're doing a lot of that around um, we, we have a we have a use case around select and save where sometimes our, our customers will come and they need to order certain products. We may be out, um, but now we're starting to use that data um, and look at their um, past patterns to provide some alternatives um, where they can have a product that that's available or alternative product, um, so they don't they don't lose out. Um, but it also improves their customer service. So that would be that's one example. Um, and then the last piece is where we're actually working um, within healthcare is how do we collaborate with some of our customers and um, look at data to improve health outcomes of our patients. So we do have a big focus in cancer. We have a business specifically targeted for that. Um, and when you think about data, um, whether it's automation, whether it's insight and intelligence or actually driving changes in how patient care happens, it's all about data. It's all about data. And I know innovation is a big mandate for you and for the team, generally speaking. Um, I, I know that you've really worked hard and intentionally to build a culture of innovation. And I wonder if you could talk a bit about what that entails. Culture is in many ways the most difficult uh, uh, item to change as it means changing people's behaviors, the way they operate and work. Um, how have you thought about uh, you know, pushing the organization in the direction more towards innovation? Yeah, you know, it is, uh, it, it's, I, I sometimes, uh, there's a cynical part of me where innovation is that next new, you know, word. Um, but when you think about what we're doing, and I, I give a lot of credit to our CEO, Brian Tyler, where um, the foundation of our growth is fueled based on how we change our mindsets and, and how we solve problems. And so he's had a big focus around how do we become um, a culture that allows innovation. And what I mean by that is, a culture that allows us to ideate, allows us to fail fast, pivot, and move forward. And that's the biggest culture change, I would say, um, that, that we've been pushing is how do we give our organization permission to fail? Or how do we give our organization to say, yes, go be curious and learn that? Um, in fact, Brian, um, we had um, his CEO leadership meeting last week, and it was all based around innovation. But, but some of the role, I felt my, one of my roles is um, a steward to help teach and create that culture. And so we've stood up an innovation office. Um, innovation doesn't happen centrally. Innovation is in the top-down initiative. But what we've done is we've built um, a group of people where we're working across the businesses to teach them how to ideate. You know, so instead of it's typically not the person at the top that has the idea, it's typically a number of inputs from across the organization. And typically the best ideas come from people living and breathing um, in the trenches. Um, we also have another component of our innovation office where once they have an idea, how do we help them drive um, a stage and gate process to do an MVP and fail? Um, we've done, I think this year so far, we've done something like 40 use cases. Um, we're only taking a few to scale. Um, but what we've done is we've taught our business how to bring in startups, how to look at different technology, how to solve a problem differently, how to go out and experiment and understand the customer. Oftentimes the customer or your business stakeholder will think they know what they want, but through experimentation and ideation, you'll realize that 
it's a completely different approach to solve that. So, so we're doing things like that, um, but ultimately it's, it's, you know, it's, it's changing that culture. And um, when you have your CEO that's backing it, um, you can really see the difference in the change. And so. I can understand that that would be a really important lever to have an important voice in the room. And you're, when you're talking about that change, I, you know, the, the topic of supply chains has made it into popular culture to a way that uh, one wouldn't have necessarily imagined uh, as it now, you know, all of us experience issues uh, with our personal supply chains, with, with uh, goods and services that we're, we're, we're uh, procuring personally. You run, your organization um, runs a remarkably complex supply chain. And I wonder, you know, at a time where it is a, a topic of interest, what are some of the ways in which tech and digital can alleviate issues that abound relative to supply chain? Yeah, yeah, no, I, um, you know, it's it's a great question, and and what's what's interesting is um, when the pandemic hit, um, a lot of a lot of um, CIOs, a lot of companies were focused on getting people to work from home and getting that that was in place. But one of the things we had to do on the back end was we actually had to scale our supply chain 15 times um, to the volume of, of what we had ever done in order to help the U.S. government provide, um, you know, the COVID vaccine to, to the nation as well as to other countries. Um, and what we learned by that is we learned where we had to be uh, dynamic. And what I mean by that is two years ago, we saw constraints in the supply chain that we had to solve for. Um, and it came down to three things. Um, we were, although they may have been legacy platforms, they were platforms that were built to scale. So we had the ability to scale. Um, the second piece, so we had built um, these platforms in a way that reflected our operating model. So when we didn't have supplies, we were able to look at the data, understand the patterns and be able to pivot with alternative sourcing. Um, but we were also able to push down um, unique capabilities. And, and one great example is um, early on in the pandemic, um, face masks were a standard product that were, they were just face masks. They became a critical component to delivering services and surgeries um, to critical um, patients. And um, we overnight had a misplacement of where the inventory was and where the need was. So we were able to um, work with our business and in, in within a couple of days, build a new capability called dynamic distribution, where we were able to understand where the need of supply chain was and we appropriate that. So, so that's one example where we were able to use some of our new technologies to pivot on that. I think that, but, but when you look at the urgency, when you look at that, you have constraints, but I, I think one of the most important piece that came out of it is our workforce. So when, when you looked at how we solve problems, we have a workforce that is passionate about understanding that we're in the middle of, of, of impacting someone's care. And um, so that sense of urgency is something that I think is unique to McKesson and, and really drives another lens of how we solve problems. Um, but every in every single case, it was looking at data. It was bringing a team together, not a large team, but quickly a team together that understood the impact to healthcare. And then we quickly were able to solve for that. Um, another innovation was um, understanding pricing changes. Um, as supply chain constraints change, you had a flux in pricing. Um, and we actually um, saw that there was a unique correlation to um, the pricing of gloves um, that no one ever understood. And it was as the price of rice um, increased in Asia, 
there's a likelihood of a price uh, to increase in gloves. And that's because rice, the cost of rice in Asia is a big indicator of, of inflation in Asia. So that would be one unique example um, that, that our data team had come back and identified. So, um, but yeah, it, it's, you know, what I, I go back to the people and just the collaboration and understanding the mission of what we have here. Very interesting indeed. And one of the fascinating aspects also of your business is you have business units, operating companies that themselves could be Fortune 500 companies uh, just in terms of their size and scale in, in different segments, uh, generally in healthcare, but in, in rather different segments. And I wonder, talk a bit about how you think about the balance between um, you know, centralized uh, decision-making, common ways of doing things, as opposed to technology that addresses the unique needs of each of those businesses. Yeah, yeah, you know that's always when you when you come in as a CIO or a CTO, um, that's always the debate. You know, centralized, decentralized. Um, I, I think one of the the great things here is um, understanding that uh, every business delivers a significant value to the healthcare industry. And to your point, it could be a company that's in and of itself. But where we have found the balance is there are things every every business needs at the enterprise. So so there's typically no debate around. The compliance, cybersecurity, the foundational infrastructure um, that works. There is also no debate around building a center of excellence around core capabilities like data, um, like like process engineers or software engineers that can build common things for um, our businesses and then provided services. But where we start to differentiate is to be clear around how our businesses use those skills and tools to enable them very specifically. For their business, so um, so we run kind of I, I call it a hybrid model where it's not all centralized, but we have core things that no matter what type of a company you are, you need to be secure, you need to be compliant, you need to operate at scale, um, and the scale of where we can standardize to run our operations and infrastructure. That's a service that that the businesses can benefit from. So that's shared services, um, and then um, I have CIOs very specifically for every business unit. And their responsibility is a full spectrum CIO where they're responsible for pulling together the tech priorities and enablement um, that are gonna optimize each business. And so um, they have responsibilities to drive innovation. They have responsibilities to drive and embed um, enablement through newer technologies and data. Um, and then they have a responsibility to lean into the central organization to, to procure those services. Nancy, you've also um, uh, been, as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, are now a member of the board of directors of Comerica Bank, an appointment you, you uh, um, received uh, just earlier this year. And I wonder, uh, as there are many, I think, among your peers who would wish to follow in your footsteps towards directorships at uh, publicly traded significant organizations like that one, you know, talk a bit about your pathway to gaining access to to, to the board, um, and, and um, maybe advice you'd offer for others who might wish to do the same. Sure, sure. Yeah, you know, it's it's been a great privilege, and I, I would tell you, three years ago, um, I, I wasn't thinking about that, but I had um, my previous CEO, George Oliver, had just recommended and encouraged me to participate um, in boards to get um, two things: an experience of another management team. You know, every management team has a different culture, makes decisions differently. Um, debates differently. Um, and through that, um, I actually serve on the board of Children's Hospital of Wisconsin. It's actually an operating board. It's a nonprofit um, hospital, but it's an operating board. And it gave me so much exposure to um, 
to how to be on a board versus being in management and serving a board. Um, and one of the things I learned there were, were, were two things. It's just the responsibility of risk and oversight that you have for the board um, and your responsibility. In that case, I'm on the patient safety. Um, I was on the patient safety committee last year. I'm, I'm moving on to the audit committee um, this year, but it just gave me a lot of experience of, of the role you play. Um, and, and I would tell you is um, coming in, there is an increased need to understand compliance um, and cybersecurity. That's a big risk to, to boards. Um, but it was also being able to contribute in a whole different way of just management expertise. Um, so my advice to anybody who's interested is, is to start with your passion. Um, it's, it's, and find a board that's going to give you an operating experience um, through a nonprofit. That, that would be my one experience. And I think my final advice, a lot of times people think it's, 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 you know, an additional compensation. It's additional feather. I, I, I think, you know, what drives me is, you want to be around like-minded people, intelligent. You want to be you want to be around those people, but find your passion. Um, yes, there there is compensation, but the amount of investment and commitment and risk you take to be on a board um, outweighs anything like that. So it's really you know really find something you like to do. Um, but my advice is to start to get experience from and, um, from nonprofit boards. That's a great, great piece of advice. Appreciate you offering that. I wonder, Nancy, there are a number of trends we've already begun to, to speak about, but um, you know, as you look to the future, the year ahead, the next couple of years ahead even, are there trends that particularly excite you that are making their way onto your personal or professional roadmaps? Yeah, actually, um, I uh, what excites me is, you know, we've had technology disruption for the last couple of years, um, for, well, for years, um, and we've talked a lot about innovation data, AI, and ML. And what I'm excited about is, is we have technologies that have been here for the last three to five years, but, but they have matured and they've become mainstream where they're now, they're now able to scale. Um, so, so the things I think about is we need to now modernize um, our, our technology in a way that data is going to be you know, pervasive across the network. So we spent years creating data lakes, centralizing it to drive a lot of intelligence, central automation. Um, but now we're at a point where, whether it's OT, whether it's some of these newer AI um, components that you can push closer to the customer experience, we need to rethink how we do that. Um, but when you think about the capability and the speed and, and the, how it truly can mimic human interaction, um, you know, that that's what's exciting to me is, is we're just on the cusp of being able to really see some of this technology truly help us in ways um, that we haven't seen. Uh, last week, we were we were kind of playing with um, a conversational artificial intelligence um, person we called Katie. And it's actually based on um, the same technology as um, Alexa. But when you add a visual face, that looks no different than you and I on the video screen. Um, what was shocking to me was the emotional impact my, my body had and, and the interaction, how it changed the experience was just so incredible. Um, but what it also required us to do as a technology team is what infrastructure do we need? What network do we need? What capacity? How do we think about building that data structure now? That's a very different architecture than some of the things we've built in the past. So, so it's an exciting time to to be in, in tech and, and really see some of these new capabilities come to life. And I, I think we're just at the cusp of, of it just shaping how we work. It, it's, it's really, really exciting. 
That's fantastic. I, I wanted to also ask you, Nancy, as somebody who is so accomplished, has been a a, uh, a chief, a tech and digital chief at multiple consequential organizations, now at one of the just a uh, handful of few co- largest companies in the world. Um, I, I wonder if you, as you reflect upon things, are there any secrets to your rise or your success that you would offer as, you know, kind of advice to those who might be younger than you who would wish to follow in your footsteps? You know, I, um, it's an interesting question because I, I think, and it's easy for me to say in this position, I'm so grateful for the opportunities. Um, I, um, I think there's a couple things. I, I have never focused on the title. I have always been one to go after opportunities that are going to make an impact. So when I will reflect on my career, the opportunities that advanced me were the opportunities that were the hardest, sometimes risky in terms of, you know, well, if it doesn't go well, I'm not sure where I'm going to be next. Um, but it's always been chasing the challenge of making an impact. And that, that's been one thing. I think the other thing is, um, I, I feel like I am grateful for the opportunities. Timing was element, but I always had great people around me, and I had great teams. Um, oftentimes, I have I have a strong voice. It doesn't mean it's the right voice or has the right answer, but I've always been able to build a team of really great, like-minded uh, people, like-minded but inclusive and diverse, where we could collaborate, come up with different ideas. I call it. I'm driving the bus. I need a leadership team. If I take a right turn and they think I need to take a left turn, I have the leadership team that's going to tell me that. Um, so um, I think it's a lot of putting your head down, understanding um, where you can make an impact. And, and the basic thing is when you focus on doing the right thing for your company, it's typically the right thing for your department and eventually will be the right thing for you. So, so that to me is when you get to do the fun stuff and you know where you're making an impact, it's it, it all plays itself out. So um, I'm just grateful. It, it's been, you know, I can look back and to be in these places and it hasn't been easy. It's been with a lot of mistakes, you know, sometimes, oh, I made that decision. Okay, we got to rethink that. Um, um, but it's it's been great. So I'm grateful to, to be where I'm at and, and to have made an impact. That's really fantastic. Well, clearly an impact that you are, you continue to make. Uh, Nancy Avila, thank you so much for joining me uh, today. A great conversation describing your your pathway across uh, across your career, but also the, the strong contribution you and your team are making at McKesson. It's been a great conversation. Oh, thank you. And good to see you, Peter. And um, let's keep having fun. <laughs> Sounds great.